you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue on in Matthew chapter 5. You've got the Beatitudes. And as I've been thinking about an opportunity to share with you this morning, I, uh, I want us to keep kind of this whole picture in our mind. We just don't go to a couple verses and we kind of forget where we've come from. But you've got Jesus who's called his disciples to be fishers of men. And he's going to teach them what that looks like. And now he's gathered a crowd around him and he's sitting on the hillside and he's going to give them some very clear instructions. Things that are, are totally contrary to what they've grown up doing, acting, all the things that, that they kind of adopted as their philosophy. So this is how we're going to live our lives. And Jesus is going to walk into their world and say, if you're going to be one of my disciples, your life is going to look different. And so really he's going to challenge them. And as I challenge you this morning, as we have an opportunity to open the word of God, my prayer for you is that your heart is open to construction. There's things in your life that God is still doing even to this day, and he'll continue to do. But there are times in our lives we say, okay, God, I'm done, or I don't want this anymore. God, well, that's just too hard. Or God, I don't really like your word when it says this. And so this morning as you're here, I'm, I'm aware of that. And so as you think about where we're going in, in Matthew chapter 5, he reminds us that blessed are. And he's really going to say to us in those, those blessed are is that the internal things really matter. And in their day and age, it was all about the externals. I, I guess... I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I kind of call them the Botox Society. Let's just fix the outside. We're not really worried about the inside. But if that's really true, then you will not be the light of the world that God calls you to be. You just didn't have a random verse here say, okay, let's start in verses 13 and, and go down through 16 and say, yeah, let's run to that verse say, yeah, let's be the light of the world. You will not be the light of the world that God wants you to be unless you ask the Holy Spirit to do a work on the inside, because that's what matters. Blessed are the individuals that will say, okay, God, here's my life. Blessed are the individuals that say, okay, look, you look at verse uh, 17 of chapter 5, that the word of God is going to remain. I will allow that to be truth in my life. God, if you call a murderer somebody that just hates in their heart, God, I don't want that. If you call adultery just me by what I'm looking at, God, I don't want that. And so this morning as we've gathered around his word, I want you to see a couple things. I want you to see the first thing, that marriage is sacred. The second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus forbid, uh, forbids oaths. And go the second mile. Now when I say to you those things, my heart, I guess I want to ask you this question, are you ready for this? Are you really ready to allow the word of God to input into your life? Because there are times in our lives, in the majority of our life, we do not want people to tell us this is true. We want people to be nice to us, but we don't want to come face to face with reality. This is what God wants from us. And so as you go through Matthew chapter 5, and as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you need to keep saying to yourself over and over again, if I'm one of his disciples, then I'll listen to his word. And not only will I listen to his word, I will allow his word to affect my actions. So this morning I ask you, are you ready? Will you allow the Lord to speak in your life? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to say, okay, here it is. So we begin. Marriage is sacred. So as I was thinking about this, and I think about our culture, and as Jesus was talking to his disciples sitting on the hillside, he's talking to a group of people that said, you know what? Marriage is difficult. Let's just get divorced and go on with life. 
It was nothing new in their culture. It wasn't unacceptable. Say, oh, well, let's just move on with life. It was the way the culture was in that day. And so as we, before we even start Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 31, we need to ask ourselves, who designed marriage in the first place? If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. The Lord said, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, which I say hallelujah to that. I don't do life well on my own. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. So God created somebody to come alongside of man. God gave us a gift that's called a woman. And so if we start with that concept, and then you drop down to, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, then God said, this is now then man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall become be called woman, for she's taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and shall be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God designed this. And as you look at at marriage, and you think about the very beginning. Now what's really fascinating to think about right now is when God designed marriage and you have Adam and Eve, there is no sin. So can you imagine what Adam and Eve's marriage was like in the very beginning? They don't have their independence. There's this picture of of two people that have a passion for each other and to care for each other. They're not worried about themselves. They're not worried about where they're going to go eat. They're not worried about who's going to fold the clothes. They're not worried about any of those things. And it's perfect. But then something happens. Sin enters the world. And what God had designed this home, now there's something that's inside this home that is different. Now you have two individuals that are going to live together with a sin nature. Now you want to watch fireworks happen. You put a man and a woman together for a long period of time and see what, what explosions come out of that process. And especially if you don't allow Jesus to be part of that, it gets even more loud and boisterous and exciting. And I mean, probably not exciting. but So now in the first time, as you, think, as you and I are sitting here, we say, okay, yeah, God designed it. God created it. God made marriage. But now that you and I walk around on this face of the earth, you have two individuals that are living together that have selfish desires. And God knew from eternity past that He was going to create this thing called marriage. And He was going to challenge people over generations to value marriage, keep it sacred. And He knew how much work it was going to take. And He knew how hard it was. So guess what He did? He sent His Son to die on a cross for me. To die on a cross for you. So that in the picture of your marriage relationship, the world should stop and see there's something different about them. And it's not marriage, you know, weekend getaways. It's not about the salary that you make. It's about what you do as an individual in your personal relationship with Jesus that will affect your marriage. Because you know what happens? Most of the time in marriage, we look to the other person to meet my emotional or spiritual needs. Susan, if you just do this, then I'll be okay. 
And what I've learned in my relationship with Susan over these years, that I make a pretty good husband, but I make a terrible Jesus. I cannot meet all of her emotional needs. And so what's really sad to me is you enter in now to a relationship where we have the church, we've got the Word of God that's in front of us. 2,000 years later, He died on the cross, and marriages in the United States of America inside the church look no different than outside the church. I ask myself, what's going on here? Why, Why is this like this? My opinion is, is that we are probably very prideful and we don't want the willingness to say, Jesus, would you help me today? As a man. Jesus, I want you to do something in my life today that I know how to care for her better because you've met my emotional need today, Jesus. You know what would be interesting, and I don't know, I don't know how this would happen. I don't know how you make this, would make this look But it would be neat to see women that are married to, to men that went to Bible Fellowship Church that have a smile on their face because their men had a personal relationship with Jesus. That we would just treat our wives differently than the rest of the world. And that people would be coming up to the women that we're married to and say, why are you smiling? What's wrong? With, don't you have marriage issues? What's, why are you acting like this? What's wrong with you? Oh, we've got marriage issues. But we have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I'm challenging my husband to run to Jesus, and I'm challenging, and he's challenging me to run to Jesus, and where we find our unity, where we find our companionship, where we find our value in our relationship is at a cross, not at an individual. And so as Jesus is now going to talk to his disciples, he's, these followers sitting on the hillside, he's going to say something to them. He's going to say this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is referring back to what these Jewish believers are going to say. Well, we've, we've got an out here. Let's just, let's just go back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And if we really don't like our woman, we'll just give her a piece of paper and just let her go on her way. Male-dominated society. No desire, no compassion for their spouse. Just meet my needs, make me happy. And if you don't, I'll just sign you off and you'll find somebody else. But Jesus is going to challenge these people. He said, wait a minute, hold on. But I tell you, and anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness. Causes her to become an adulteress. And I realize, and I'll be very, very try, try to be very gracious, but I think sometimes divorce is an easy way out for two people to say they love Jesus. And I think there is opportunity for somebody that is married to a spouse that is unrepentant, unwilling to restore their marriage to end the marriage. But I think God has called us to something a little bit different. I think God has called us to be the light of the world. And I think God has called us as Christians to have a personal relationship with Jesus, starting with us men, that we need to do the hard stuff. And I do think if I'm a light of the world, then I'm going to have to be willing to say, Lord, you need to do this work in my life 
so I continue on in my relationship, so that I value marriage for the rest of my life. I have um, some things here that I think, as we think about homes being restored, and this is a personal testimony of a, of a friend of mine that I prayed with for some time. And when I was praying with him, he, he said to me, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm leaving my wife. And he left. He moved out of town and he left. And I was devastated. And so I said to him, what can we do? What, how can we help you? And really, when, when I would talk to him, he didn't, he got caught in his relationship. He got caught in an affair and he didn't want reconciliation, so he just ran away. So one of his friends in South Carolina came to him and said, you know what? You need to repent. I got a phone call from my friend. He said, I want to tell you something. I'm moving back to Seabury. He said, really? He said, yeah, I've admitted that I, I've, I'm repenting of my sin. And these are just coming some kind of things that I kind of look at. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness takes time. Pull the weeds in your garden of your marriage. Count the cost. I want to stop right there for a second. My friend moved back to Sebring. He says, I don't really know where I can go to church now. He said, we'd love for you to come to church here. So for months, this pastor friend of mine who was a great Bible teacher sat in the back. And then he said, you know, my daughter's a cheerleader and really want to go to the games, but I don't know where to sit. I said, I know where you can sit. You sit right next to me. Because your marriage is important to me and your kids are important to me. And even though they don't know me well, I'm fighting for your marriage. So a man moved back to town, came sat in the center section of the Sebring Blue Street fans because he longed to restore his marriage. Because I think part of it is he did figure out that, that what he was doing was wrong. And I also think he figured out what it was going to cost him if he gave up his marriage. What it was going to do to the children for years to come. I was reading an article as I was studying of an article that was written in 1979. Christianity Today. And they go through different things. And I just share this this part of it with you. Absent parents through death or divorce or some other cause, a parent's inaccessibility, either physically or emotionally, or both can profoundly influence a child's emotional health. Have you ever stopped and wondered why Satan wants to destroy a home? Because he wants to destroy children. You destroy a home, you mess up children for years ago. And that's why marriage is so hard. Because Satan wants to blow this, the wheels off. And so as, as, I, end, as I end this thing, I, I, was, I had the privilege to be with Mrs. the Shoemaker family yesterday, and these flowers are from the service that we were at. And most of the time when you go to a funeral, you read, uh, most of the funerals I've been to, people pick Psalm 23, which is a great psalm. But as I was thinking about David, I was thinking about opportunity to read, and I was thinking about what it would look like for forgiveness. What would it look like to restore a home? My mind was gravitated to the truth of Scripture where it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. We all know that's what David was. He said, Lord, you be my shepherd. 
will make me lie down in green pastures. He will lead me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. God restores souls. God restores families. God restores homes. Satan's the one who destroys them. So as we're gathered together as a family this morning, my prayer for us is we know this whole, we can read through this verse and we say, well, yeah, you know what, he was unfaithful, I'm, that's it, I'm done. Or we can say, you know what, Lord, maybe you need to restore something. Maybe it's time, as I think about this passage of Scripture, and he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to these followers, he's told them, hey, I want you to be the light of the world. So separating your home doesn't. Maybe we need to stop and say, you know what, maybe it's time to allow your marriage to be something for others to see that you're different. You know what's true? There's not one marriage in here that hasn't been through issues. There's not one of us. And there will never be a group ever walking into this room, husband and wife, that will ever not have marriage issues. It's impossible. Because you have two sinners living in one house. There's not one saint and one sinner. There are two sinners. Okay? Don't nudge nudge your spouse thinking you're the saint and he's a sinner. Don't do it. Okay? That's not the way, we, it's just facts. Biblical truth is, we are all sinners, not just men, all sinners, okay? So now you have two sinners together saying, okay, Lord, you show me something how to value that person. I told first hour, I said, Jesus, would you help us men as Bible Fellowship Church to be men who have, that love you and have a relationship with you? And even when she says to us, when even Susan says to me, would you like to go shopping I won't ask, what are we looking for? I will just go shopping for no apparent reason. Because we just want to go looking. I don't know why that comprehends in a woman's world, but I'll go looking for nothing. I prefer looking for a project or a plan or do this. But if you want to go look, babe, I'm with you. And then would there be a generation of ladies in our, in our family? And I don't... I hear this is how it works, that when Satan fires weird thoughts to you about your man, well, he didn't do this, or he didn't do this, or why didn't he do this, or what, that we would stop and say, no, I'm going to hold that thought captive. And I'm going to set that aside, because my man loves Jesus. Oh, he's not perfect. But he wants to grow. He wants to look different. Next thing that I want you to see this morning is that Jesus forbids oaths. Now, I don't know if you realize, but we live in a society that shares uh, half-truths. So I did some research. All you that love Splenda. um, I don't know if you realize, but in 2007, Splenda was sued for their slogan. And their slogan said something to the effect that it was made from original sugar. But actually, it was made from highly processed chemical compound in a factory. Do any of you have any idea how much Splenda paid for this lawsuit? $200 million. You're close. $200 million for their little slogan. Do you realize Eclipse Gum decided that they were going to come up with a new ingredient, magnolia bark extract. And this new ingredient would help kill germs. 
you know how much? And they went to court. They declared they did nothing wrong. Do you know how much they paid? Six million. Six million. And what I find fascinating about our society is now when you go to a court of law and you're going to have to give a testimony, what are they going to ask you to do? Raise your right hand. I swear to tell the truth, nothing other the truth, so help me God, right? I mean, does that even grab you by your crazy? That somebody would actually go sit in a stand and just flat out lie and know the truth and say, you know, I don't, you have to swear to tell the truth. That's crazy. But as you navigate and you go along in the different things that we will face here, Jesus wants you to know that your words are really important. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard, and this is what was said to people long ago. Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, or for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the king's gate. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. How many of us are sitting in this room that our yes needs to be yes and our no needs to be no? What I know is true is, is that Satan's a liar and John eight forty four says he's a father of lies. James tells me in the book of James, in chapter 5 of verse 12, says this. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Or you will be condemned. One last quote as I think about your yes be yes and your no be no. Think about me being a disciple of Jesus. Daniel Webster said it this way. There's nothing more powerful, there's nothing more powerful as truth and often nothing as strange. All the stuff that we've been involved in, how much has it just been based on a lie? And so I, as I think about those verses, I just would pause you. The thought that I have is, is your words matter, so be very careful of your source of inputs into your life. Last thing that I want you to see um, this morning is go the second mile. And I want you to look at um, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. It says, you have heard that it was said... An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was Exodus chapter 21, verse 24. The reason it was said there was to prevent inappropriate punishment. That's what they've heard. This is, but I tell you, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to the other, turn the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him, let him take your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. I realize there are going to be all of us are going to have times in our life that we are going to get slapped by an evil person. Not probably not physically, because uh, most of us wouldn't respond very well if you slapped us physically. 
but we're all going to face it. And if we are a disciple of Jesus, and we long to be the light of the world, and if we are working on what's going on in the internal part of who we are as an individual, we'll say, Jesus, help me to navigate this wicked person who hurt me. Help me to turn my cheek. Help me not to be revengeful. Help me not to want to get even. And as I was listening, we were talking a little bit this morning about this passage of Scripture with leadership, the elders were, and, and Dean was telling us about the Jewish culture one mile ago, too. We were talking about that, and he was saying in Jewish culture, the Roman soldiers would come and say, well, if they were tired, they'd say, we need you to carry our pack and our sword. You carry it for a mile. And so the Jews knew exactly when he said one mile, the people that they hated, the Romans, the soldiers would come along and say, hey, here's my stuff. You carry it for a mile. You know what Jesus said? If you're my follower, if you are my disciple, you want to be a light to a Roman, carry it two miles. Go farther than what it's asked. Beyond what is inside of you. Because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because I don't want just to have a, that relationship. I want my life to look different. So in the society where we are, we're going to pause now, here, say this. Do you value marriage? Is it sacred? Is it something that we are willing to fight for? Is it something that we are willing to say, Jesus, no matter if I'm right or no matter if I'm wrong, I'm just going to lay that down. Are we going to value our words? Knowing that everywhere we turn, and I love to you know, go to listen to people, you know, guys talk. We play basketball or you catch a fish or whatever. No matter how, how big your fish is, somebody's caught a bigger one. No matter how many points you scored at a basketball game, somebody scored more. No matter how often you lettered in a thing, somebody's done something bigger and better than you. And it just keeps on going and going and going. And Jesus is telling, if you all want to be one of his disciples, shut it down. Your yes is yes and your no is no and let it go. And when they hurt you. And when you want to go out and tell everybody in the community, this is what really happened. Will you say, Jesus... The reputation belongs to you. Jesus, I'm going to let that go because ultimately what you've called me to. I don't know. This, is a, this was a great reminder for me again this week, just thinking about this again. Take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What have I been called to do? Why am I living? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, pick it up in verse... Um, 14, for Christ's love compels us. So Christ's love for us compels us because we are convinced that one who died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for, you need to circle this word, highlight it, do whatever you want to do, we should no longer live for ourselves. Shouldn't be about me. Shouldn't be about you. Because he loved me 
I should no longer live for myself, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Drop down to verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against us. We all should say hallelujah there, that he didn't count our sins against us. And he has committed us to a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Stop there. What is an ambassador? It's an individual that talks for somebody else. We are Christ's ambassadors. It shouldn't be about my opinion. It shouldn't be about my preference. It shouldn't be about, well, this is what I think should happen in the world. Or this is how so-and-so should handle this. Or this is what so-and-so should do. No. We are Christ's ambassadors called by a ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because he died for us. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. I'm sure if, if I would say, you know what, I'd like to be a bastard of the United States of America, but when they send me off to China or wherever they want to send me, and they gave me a message, and I told them totally different what the, the home office said, hey, this is what I want you to do, and I gave them a totally different message, guess what? I'd be fired as soon as I got back home. You tell them what we tell you to tell them, and that's all. That's what your job is. We don't work for the United States of America, which would be kind of a cool opportunity. We work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He paid for us. We are His. An opportunity to be an ambassador. As though, as though God were making appeal through Him, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why you're alive. That's why we're married. That's why we use our words wisely. That's why we go the second mile when people hurt us. Because we want them to see something different. We want them to see Jesus inside of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather as a family. And as we navigate through Matthew chapter 5, some of it is really kind of cool and some of it just punches us in the stomach. Some we don't like. We don't like it because we're sinners. We don't like it because we don't want to be told what to do. We don't like it because sometimes it's hard. The Holy Spirit raised up inside of us and strengthened the spiritual muscle. That we wouldn't just be a bunch of whiners. But what you called us to do, we would do. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even if we don't like it. Father, that by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit that people would see something different in us. And they would want the light in a dark world, in a messed up world. Thank you that you've given us a privilege to, to shine. But help us not to shine for things that don't matter. Help us to shine with the gospel in our marriages, in our words, in our service. That people would see something different in us. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We can't do this. We're broken. We're weak. The Holy Spirit, raise up some warriors, not just Trent, but raise up some men in here that love you and love your word and love their wives. Raise up some women that love you and love your word and love their spouse, their husbands. Father, thank you that we can be a family. Send us out into the battlefield this week 
knowing our mission is reconciliation, knowing that it's not going to be easy, knowing that it's not always going to be fun. It wasn't fun for you to die on a cross either. It wasn't fun for you when they spit in your face. It wasn't fun for you when they ripped out your beard. It wasn't fun for you when they chained you to the pole and they beat you. But you chose all that so that we would know that we were loved. We would know that we were important. That we would know we were valuable. And now that we know something, Holy Spirit, help us to act different. Thank you for our time. Thank you for allowing us to be together. Jesus, take your word and let it run free in our heart and soul. In your name we pray. Amen.